This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming the Shrink Chicks, Emily Beerley and Jennifer Chaikin to the show. Emily and Jennifer are both marriage and family therapists, partners and owners in a private therapy practice called The Therapy Group, and they co-host the Shrink Chicks podcast together. They are such a riot. We're in for such a fun time today. I have invited Emily and Jennifer here to talk about the expectations and hopes that we have in the support we'll receive postpartum and the letdown and grief and anger and frustration we feel when our support system doesn't show up the way that they said they would or that we expected they would. I recently shared a reel about the village that we were promised. And then it's crickets when nobody shows up postpartum, when we're in the throes of some of the hardest sleep deprivation and challenges in adjusting to this new role. And it feels like crickets and it feels like nobody is there. We unpack this in this episode, understanding our expectations that we have, understanding support and what we really need and what it means to us, and then also how to communicate these things to the people who are in our support system. This is a really important conversation, and Jennifer and Emily are the perfect ones to have it with. Let's hear my chat with the Shrink Chicks. The postpartum period is a major transition in your life. Overnight, you went from being able to care for yourself to having a little baby rely on you for every need. Sleep deprivation, crying, uncertainty in your parenting choices, these can all take a toll on your mental health. While baby blues are normal and will resolve on their own in a few weeks, many moms suffer from more. If you find yourself irritable, depressed, anxious, experiencing loss of interest in the things you used to enjoy, or simply feeling unlike yourself, you could be experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety. It might be time to seek help. The Happy as a Mother Wellness Center can connect you with a maternal mental health therapist. We offer teletherapy services, allowing us to connect anywhere with secure and convenient appointments that save you time and hassle. You can access much needed mental health care from your desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone. Your mental health matters. Take the first step towards wellness by booking a free 15-minute consultation with a mom therapist near you. Visit happyasamother.co slash book to schedule your free consult today. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Emily, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me today between spouses being sick and I'm getting over strep throat and I had a kid home with a double ear infection, like just the madness of coordinating schedules. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you for having us. This is the time of year that is so chaotic, right? Like had like nine days between holidays and my daughter being sick of her not being in school. And by the end of it, you're like, am I a wild animal? Like that is how your house feels, your (laughs) life. Like I have to like ongoing, like say to myself as like a mantra, like, just because it's messy doesn't mean you're a mess. Like I have to like like keep going through everything because this time of year is chaos. It's so true. It is like the only time in life that my partner and I look at each other 
when everyone is sick and I'm sick, somehow, thank God, he manages to like make it out of the wreckage alive. And he's the one caring for everyone. And we look at each other just like, whose choices brought us to this moment? Like, you know, those like tinges of regret you have in parenthood sometimes that nobody ever wants to admit. But it's in these chaos moments that you're just like, who chose this? And like <laughs> it, that moment will pass. It does. It passes. And then they're like, they're so sweet and whatever. But man alive, it's chaos. So I really appreciate you both. Of course. And you have to sit here and be like, okay, who's the least sick and most capable right now? Like, okay, like I didn't poop my pants today. So like I can handle this. And then like tomorrow right? it'll get worse for me. Like, and you have to have the ability to be slightly like emotionally regulated to do that. And then when you're sick, lack of sleep, children are wild. Like it is so hard to have that emotional regulation and to talk yourself through like how do we as a system function is one of the most difficult things. And then you get out of it and you like look at your partner and you're like, wow, we could have died there. And like this really worked out. (laughs) Here we survived it. Made it through. (laughs) Totally. I totally, totally relate to that. And for every mom in our audience can relate with everyone is sick and their kids are sick. And it's just, it's a challenging time of year, I feel like. I'm so curious how the two of you came together. I was like going through, I was telling you a little bit off air, like going through all your videos and like researching and prepping for interviews as I do. And I was like, they have so much fun together. Like I'm I'm a like little jealous that you're both these co-founders together, like rocking this podcast, private practice world together. Jennifer, tell me, like how did Shrink Chicks evolve and form? Oh, this is a great story. So Emily and I met in grad school when we were both becoming marriage and family therapists. I am way more introverted than Emily is. So I went into grad school like, listen, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to get my degree. Emily came up to me and she was like, you're going to be my best friend. (laughs) So I, from (laughs) from that moment on, we were attached to the hip. When we got out of grad school, we decided to build a therapy practice together because we really wanted to build a practice that was different than other practices that we've experienced. One where the clinicians were really down to earth. You felt like you were talking to a real authentic human being. And so that is where we started the therapy group and have ever since built up. And we have recognized over time, there was such a need to be able to talk about therapeutic information in this like authentic down to earth way. Mm -hmm. You're usually hearing it Mm -hmm. through this like very clinical lens which is hard to keep up with. So, you know, once again, as I said, I'm very introverted. Emily was on a few podcasts, you know, before and just, you know, came to me and said, you know, we could do this. Let's start a podcast together. And I said to her, I would rather die. (laughs) And but as she does, she convinces me to do everything. So that, you know, over a few drinks, we decided on the podcast Shrink Chicks and it's, you know, gone from there. It has been such an incredible journey. We started in 2019. And, you know, the way in which we have been able to talk about therapy and destigmatize therapy has been so incredible. And we get to hang out and talk to each other and also talk to incredible people who we would never have gotten the chance to talk to otherwise. Yeah, totally one of my favorite parts of this like podcasting gig is the incredible human beings I've gotten to meet. And I was like going through your feed and the snippets of the moments that you guys share from your podcast episodes are just so relatable and funny. And I think as a therapist who also stepped out into the social media space with a lot of colleagues kind of like, you know, frowning over it initially, it was like in 2019 time Mm -hmm. when therapists were really on Instagram a lot. There is a real like sort of like staunch stoic vibe that comes with our education and all the licensing process. So they like people want to know that we're human. They want to see these sides of us. I think that it's so relatable and really appreciate the work that you both do. We were going to do a holiday topic. We were back and forth about topics. And I was like, oh, what could we really like dive into today? One of the things that comes up in my community so much is I thought there would be more support. Like I had this expectation that I would have this child and, you know, my mom would chip in or like my mother-in-law or my grandma or like the, the community that would show up and help us parent that doesn't show up. And when I saw you address like expectations and these let down feelings uh, a fair bit in your podcast topics and conversations, I was like, I think this is it. I think this is a really relatable pain point for people. Mm-hmm. 
You know, <laughs> it's a pain point, and it's one that's like really close to my heart. Jen, as soon as she saw the topic, she was like, "Ah, oh, Emily." <laughs> <laughs> because that was like a lot of my experience, right? And I think for so many of us, I mean, I know that like people pleasing is such a buzzword, but a lot of us are surrounded by people pleasers and women in general tend to be people pleasers. So I think a lot of times we've been told by our moms, by our friends, through our partners, this stuff of like, yeah, I'm going to do A, B, and C. And then when it doesn't happen, it's like we don't want, we don't really have a script of how to handle that. And we don't really have a process of how we grieve and handle that because we've been told just like, well, like people don't owe that to you. Mm. And it like goes at like this very like sort of individualist idea about like, what do we owe to one another? What does my family of origin owe to me? What do the people surrounding me owe to me? And like, what do we do for one another in very vulnerable times, which parenthood is? Mm-hmm. It is like such a mixture of things happening because the support that we romanticize or envision also is tethered to this romanticized idea that we have about how the postpartum period is going to be as well. So like this is a time of real just gut-wrenching letdown (laughs) in a lot of ways, isn't it? Like you think that you're going to like have these beautiful, and there are beautiful moments, but you're thinking like that this is what that postpartum phase is going to be like. So you're experiencing sort of grief and loss about this identity and this shift like matrescence and, and the shift in motherhood, generally speaking. But then our relationships too, like I personally experienced this where like, I don't know, you just kind of like expect like like a, maybe a grandma's role is to do these things or we have these maybe unspoken norms or expectations of our loved ones. And for me, I was like, yeah, like why wouldn't my mom be around and involved? Like she's retired or she's doing this and she's like not. And so that for me was a really mixed bag. Mm-hmm. I think of learning to adjust my expectations, but also one of the things that my clients talk a lot about is like it resurfaced a lot of like mother wounds slash like trauma stuff too. When you think that your parent is going to show up for you in a certain way, or you're holding this like little human and then you're pulled back to your own childhood and thinking like, how could they have behaved X, Y, and Z? So there's just like so much going on during this time. And mom is not centered in any of it. No. I mean, you're taught to just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it speaks to, in a lot of our relationships, right, the expectations that we don't even realize that we have until we're in the process, right? We Mm -hmm. talk about that, you know, when you first get married, when you first have a child, that, you know, we don't allow ourselves the space to be able to say like, well, what am I expecting when I first get married? What am I expecting when I first have this kid? You know, what am I expecting out of these relationships? But it comes out when you're experiencing the grief and you're experiencing the disappointment. Mm. But I think there's something to be said and, you know, something it's important to talk about, about preemptively asking yourself those questions of what are my expectations in this situation? What are my expectations of motherhood? What are my expectations of what my relationships are going to be like? Mm. And are those actually going to come to fruition? And maybe you don't know until you're experiencing it. But it's something to just be aware of, of what your expectations are. And then where did those expectations form? Mm -hmm. You know, did they form from, you know, societal pressure ideas? Did they form from, you know, what your parents did? Kind of the idea of like where those expectations came from and just really bringing them to the surface, making them more conscious so that you can really look at them and kind of understand them as best as possible. It's a really interesting point because... I think that what's being highlighted here is that the promises aren't necessarily made to us. Like they're not like verbalized and then broken. Like there hasn't been a verbal contract that we've entered into with this person. It's so much more subtle than that. And I think that what plays into the expectations that we have are like gendered norms and like our relationship, cultural norms, religious norms. Like I think about my husband, he's from Benin, West Africa, and his mom is like lives in West Africa. So the cultural norm is that she dropped everything and came and lived with us for three months after each child, right? Like that was a grandma's like duty and role. And that's what she did. Was I receiving of the support? Did I have some anxiety and like not want people to touch my baby? Like that's a whole other conversation. But like that was her socialized role as grandma. And then we live in this like very individualized culture where 
I think that I made a lot of assumptions about how my mom would engage and be involved, none of which I would say were actually really spoken out loud now that I'm sort of cycling through them in my mind. And I think that this is really, as you said, something that people don't stop and reflect on, like identifying what these expectations are, maybe even communicating them or getting on the same page with their support system and family members about if this like meets their idea of how they're going to be involved. I mean, you talk about this idea of like the contracts around it, right? And a lot of times our expectations start to come from something that's really casual, right? If all my girlfriends are like, oh, we can't wait for a baby to be born and we're going to dress her all the time and be there all the time. And then it's radio silence and freaking crickets when they show up in my head. Well, wait a second. You said all these things before and I thought that that became truth, Mm -hmm. right? And the thing is, sometimes we really casually talk in this society, the really exciting stuff. And that it's really uncomfortable when it actually happens because children aren't accessories. And I think that grandparents can have a part of this. I love bragging about my grandchildren, but do I always show up for them? Mm -hmm. I love bragging about my beautiful, look, oh, look at my daughter and her great kids. And then also when she really needs me, when everyone's been sick for a whole week, do I show up, right? And so I think that that can all lead into expectations that we have that you're right are not written and spoken into contract. That's very different than sitting down and saying, hey, mom, can you take the kids every third Sunday so we can have a date night? Right. Right. That's really different than saying, hey, like, um, I know when you come over, you want to bring something every time, but I'm actually the one who has to clean all this. And I'm really overwhelmed by the amount of stuff in my home and I'm overstimulated. Mm -hmm. And those are often really uncomfortable conversations to have because People don't really want to hear that sometimes. Mm -hmm. When you invite support in, like what I'm hearing is when you invite support in, you might have help or an extra set of hands, but then you have a different set of challenges to navigate. Mm -hmm. You've got boundary setting. You've got grandparents or other generations or types of parenting styles who might want to parent your child in a certain way. Like it doesn't come without a cost sometimes. And I think that this is a big thing that I process through with moms and clients in session is like, is the cost worth the support? Like, I feel like that's a big, big one, right? Is the Mm -hmm. conflict or is the having to constantly reset boundaries or is the boundary violations, despite how many times I've set the boundaries, worth the extra set of hands and the support? Where's the trade-off here? And I think that the really big challenge, at least from my perspective, is societally, like we fail moms. Like, Everything is about mom and her baby and this baby in the belly. And then baby is born and everything is about baby. And mom is not centered or held or supported. And here we talk about like making a maternal sleep plan, just like regardless of whether baby sleeps and like Mm -hmm. anchoring and centering mom as somebody who needs support in this time. And so some of this, you think letdown in support is like a byproduct of there being no real like system or established set of norms around how we really do uphold mom postpartum. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And I love that you talked about it in terms of a system and something we talk about on Trick that I really got from my couples therapist is that the thing about if we have a system in place and it's not working, then I get to blame the system and not you. Yeah. This goes for like, right, like in our marriage too, right? So if like, if we have a system in place of how the nighttime is going to work, and that's not working, well, then I guess our system's broken. You're not a horrible partner. Right. It depersonalizes that, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. And when we don't have a system, and as society, we do not. Yeah. It is insane that postpartum support is not covered, mm-hmm. right? Especially in the United States. The United States it's is, a I mean, free for all. a disgrace. Yeah, it's disgusting. A, I don't <laughs> Yeah. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. I can't believe it. And it is, it's a failure, right? Because it should be that pelvic floor physical therapy is involved. It should be that we have postpartum doulas. It should be that our bodies have time to heal. It should be that there is, a you know, um, involvement to relief. There's so many things, but the system is very, very broken. And what happens is that instead of us getting mad at the system, we think of ourselves as the failures of moms. Mm. We think about our partner can't be there for me. We think that my mom is horrible. There should be a different system here. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that we don't depersonalize. We actually completely personalize. I must not 
be good at this. I must not be able to handle this. Right. Everybody else can handle this on their own with less support than me. What am I doing that is wrong here? Especially, I want to say, as a first-time new mom where you're really grappling for the first time with this identity. Like, there is, like, no other unstudy of a ground, I don't think, than being a new mother. And so I think that you're grappling with just, can I do this? Am I good at this? And feeding is a nightmare and nothing's going as I thought it would go. And then I'm not being supported. And then I think that there's a piece here, as you were talking, Emily, that I'm really hearing is like, I think support does show up sometimes, but it's actually not focused on mom. So like it's focused on baby or it's focused on like a lot of moms will say like people come and they visit, then I end up like hosting them. And then it's sort of like, it's not centered on what mom needs. It's about people wanting to meet baby. And it's about like, it brings just these other sets of challenges that just kind of make moms even want to close the doors to people sometimes. And it's challenging. Like, can I tell this horrific story? Please. Please do. (laughs) Okay. Just for like pure entertainment value, which at the time was very traumatizing, but now it's been three years and I can handle this. Six weeks postpartum, a friend who I felt was a close friend of mine at the time, and it was before COVID, I had my daughter. And my husband had to start traveling again for his job when I was six weeks postpartum. So at six weeks old, I was by myself with my daughter. So this girlfriend of mine is like, I'm going to come over and I'm going to bring you lunch and take care of everything and clean your kitchen. And I'm like, oh my God, like, wow, like what an offer. So it's directly said to me, right? Person comes and they end up talking about themselves the entire time. At one point says to me, don't you ever put her down, right? Like like the worst experience. Mm. I am also (laughs) so hormonal, had severe baby blues, postpartum rage, everything. And they left my house and I just cried. I mean, I I cried for like 24 hours straight. I'm by myself. I felt so lonely. I felt so devalued. And I felt like a failure because I was thinking I wasn't putting down my baby enough. There's such a disconnect between how people try and show us support and the actual support we need. And I feel like this is a two-pronged issue, right? Like, People show up and support in the ways that maybe they know, in their love languages, perhaps, in all kinds of different ways. But if we don't know what we need, and if we haven't articulated and communicated a need, like, we're misfiring here. Hey, Jen, would you say, like, how do we get on the same page in terms of support and needs? Like, where do we start? Well, I think you said it perfectly, Erica, that the first step is even just knowing what we need in those moments. And I think also allowing those needs to change and to really understand what is it that I need? Because, you know, we work with couples and there are so many times where I'm asking questions of, well, what do you need in those moments? And the answer so often, and for a lot of women, is I have no idea. No idea. Because women are socialized in a lot of ways to think about other people's needs first before Mm -hmm. their own. And so we very much have been socialized to not even think about our own needs or not know what we need. So I think that the first step is really just understanding what do I need in these moments and to continue to ask yourself that because it might change. And so also to be able to communicate that and to have friends and people in your life who you can have this open dialogue with, because I think you're right, is that people approach a situation thinking that they know what you need because maybe that's what they need. They're projecting their own expectations. And it might be the opposite of what you need, right? And I think that this spans just so many different experiences that we go through, whether it's grief, right? Or like there's some sort of shift in your life where, you know, one person might need, oh, I want you to come over and I want you to clean my kitchen or I want you to just talk to me. Another person might be like, I need total silence. I don't want you to come over and talk to me at all. I want to watch a show with you, whatever it is, right? So I think that being able to have that open dialogue first with yourself and then being able to have that open dialogue with other people in your life that continues to evolve and change as your life evolves and changes. Mm -hmm. And for you to bring the same consciousness to your relationships with other people of being able to ask them, hey, what do you need right now? Is there any way that I can support you? Let me know. I'm happy to bring food over. I'm happy, you know, to clear our schedule. Emily and I do this a lot in our relationship. So I'm specifically thinking about Emily um, because because we run a business together. And Mm. in order for us to be able to function in that business together, 
there has to be a lot of support on both of our ends, a lot of give and take. And so we often say to each other, like, what do you need right now in order to be able to function this week? And we find ways to manage it. And that's part of the reason, um, a huge reason why we always say that we couldn't do this alone, right? It's so important to have community. It's so important to have support. And that's, but to be able to have that open dialogue and communication in your relationships is so essential. The word we use is relational attunement, right? Like, am I in tune with the people around? And for many of us, our parents are not in tune with us. If we think about caregivers and our moms, we talk about that wounds. For a lot of us, our parents were not in tune with us. Often that was because there wasn't financial space, there was stress, there was generational issues, there was trauma, whatever those things are. I can understand why it can be hard to do that. Mm -hmm. There also wasn't one million Instagram therapists giving you advice about how to gentle parent. My mom didn't know any of this stuff. She couldn't have free content, right? Like the information she was getting was from Dr. Spock. And that's lovely, but wasn't like super accessible. It wasn't I couldn't open an app on my phone Mm -hmm. and like see someone doing a dance of telling me how to regulate myself. I think it's amazing. There's, of course, issues with social media. But in motherhood, at least I can have a little bit of idea about how to handle this. Now there's often information overload. Yeah. But we can sit here and have terms of attunement, of have relational, all these things. But for many of us, we did not have that experience growing up. Mm -hmm. And it leaves us feeling empty and scared and alone and overwhelmed. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirina Reem's Psyched Mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. 
In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code RAGE20. I think that a lot of us even had to attune to managing our, our parents' emotions, right? Like talk about not even knowing how to manage our own. We were managing everybody else's or sort of walking on eggshells to keep some peace. And so knowing our own needs and then even communicating them might feel so foreign. And I think that there's a really added layer here. Like I can so distinctly remember like my mother-in-law, frick, I like I love her. And I'm, please come now for three months. I'll take all the help now. <laughs> three kids in that are like four or five and seven, you know, <laughs> like thinking that as a new mom, having this very sort of traditional gendered role in my mind at the time, I'm going to be the one that keeps the house. I'm going to cook. I'm going to have this new baby and having her come in and actually offer support to clean and do things and feeling like, is that because I'm not doing enough? Like, is she doing this because I'm not doing a good enough job? And I think that we're wrestling, especially as first-time moms, but even ongoing with who we are and how to determine our like worth and our performance in this role that to ask for help or to accept help feels sometimes like admitting we're failing or we're not doing a good enough job. And I think I see this especially with first-time moms I was able to let go of this more and more sort of with each child because you just can't possibly juggle it all. But there's a real connection between like asking for help and failing here. I think asking for help and then being able to accept that help. Yeah. Right? Because you can't really control it. It is a giving up control. And part of like, especially first time motherhood is like, how can I try to hold on to some sense of control because I have lost literally everything? Yeah. Lost my identity. I lost my sense of normal. I lost like the relationship that we had. Everything's different and new. And so this idea of like, what does it look like now in general society? We're not great at asking for help, mm. right? Like we have seen sort of vulnerability as a character flaw. Yeah. And we talk about these things and we say, oh, yeah, I listen to Brene Brown's TED Talk. And yeah, I know what vulnerability is. But what does it actually mean to implement and to integrate that into yourself? Yeah. I also think there's something to be said about, for example, like this podcast and really opening up the doors to seeing that, yeah, this is challenging and it's okay to ask for help. And not only is it okay, it means nothing about you failing as a mother. This is just part of motherhood. It is challenging and support is so important. And so that's where I think it's so important, too, to just kind of normalize this where, you know, with social media, there are these pictures of like, oh, my house is perfectly clean and beautifully decorated. And, you know, <laughs> where, you know, it might be a complete mess behind the camera and you might be sobbing and you might be struggling with your own stuff. And so to really normalize this, I think, is so important, too, for mothers to be able to say, um, it's okay that I'm struggling. And it doesn't mean anything about me as a mother. It doesn't mean that I'm failing. It just means that I'm human and it means that this is hard. And so I just think there's a lot of compassion that can be brought into that conversation with yourself and with others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that being able to see that. A client once told me this story as a labor and delivery nurse at work. She was really able to see when she was out of her like depth and they needed more hands, like there simply were not enough hands in the room to manage how the situation had escalated and how like in work, she was really able to do that. But in motherhood, it was so hard and so different because we're socialized to expect that we should be able to do it. And so sometimes I'll do exercises with clients where it's like, okay, let's like, let's write out some of the things you're expecting of yourself today. Let's chunk out a time that that would take you. Okay, now let's put it on the calendar and see where this is going to fit in for a moment. And when you really look at it, like let's take the example of I want to do a deep clean of my house or whatever. I recently am, am privileged to say that I can bring somebody in to do deep clean of my house. Three people for five hours. Where am I carving out 15 <laughs> hours to deep clean my house? Like three hands it needed. Practically, wow. like actually, <laughs> literally, right? <laughs> So like these are the things where I'm just like when we talk about expectations, we've got expectations of others, but we've got these like 
smothering expectations of ourselves. And so for me to say, you know what, I actually don't have 15 hours to do a deep clean. I'm going to need more hands here. This idea of this situation calls for more hands, not because I'm failing, just because the situation itself has escalated to the degree (laughs) that we need another body here, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that can help take some of the shame out of it. But Emily, when you were talking about the control piece, oh my gosh, I would so just distinctly remember this story that came up for me. Everything is changing in motherhood. And my whole identity had shifted. First time mom, everything had changed. My mother-in-law came to stay with me and she was doing all of the cooking for us. And she's West African and she like labors and like loves over the food that she creates. Different food than what I have day to day. Not food that I dislike. I love it. But I remember having this like baby blues meltdown to my husband like, I just want pizza. (laughs) I just want some pizza. Because it was like, I just want something familiar. I just want something that I can control, that I know, that feels like, you know, comfortable to me. And so I think that that is a big piece of this support too that we can think about is like, what areas can we control? What things can we grip onto in a healthy way that do feel familiar and comforting? Maybe we don't want somebody to cook because we do want very like normal comforting foods. Maybe we don't want somebody to come in and clean certain things because we like things done a certain way. Like we can maintain a sense of control over something and that's not a problem as long as it's not everything and we're not gatekeeping the whole experience, right? So I think that there's something to be said there for like vocalizing what those needs are. I have clients who will put, usually like this is by the time they're on their second or third, will put a list of like, when someone's visiting, like like a visitor's list of things they could help with while they're at the house, like really just putting it out there. Like if you wouldn't mind like picking one thing off the list and helping out, I've got my hands full or whatever, letting mom have a moment with babies and like doing some of the things. Are there other practical things that come up like that that either of you can think of for moms to try? Well, I want to first say, Erica, I love the story you just told about the pizza because I think the other thing you're talking about is like sometimes you don't know until you just say it, right? Like you probably didn't realize in your head, you're like, oh, great, she's going to take care of this food's going to be amazing, it's so good. And until you had that meltdown about the pizza, you didn't realize like, oh, I just wanted the pizza and it's not really about the pizza, right? Right, right. But like in that moment to say, first of all, like, oh, here's what I need and I'm allowed to have it and make space for it. And also it's okay that I didn't know that before. Because like, how would you know? And like, my husband's looking at me like, she handed me a bowl of food. I like go in my room. I like break down sobbing. And he's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) bless him. Just like, what happened? Like, what's going on here? Just like, I just want pizza, you know? And it's true. Sometimes until it kind of like bubbles over, you don't know. And we navigated it. I'm pretty sure I did get my pizza. I probably stayed in bed and had a nap (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like sometimes it's the silliest things. And they could have never known. Like she was feeding me. She like literally was handing me food. Like, so when we're talking about support being misfiring here, I had support. Was it what I needed? Had I figured out or thought about what I needed and communicated it? Like we were clearly misfiring, but it wasn't for lack of people wanting to be there and be involved, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I love the example, you know, you talk about this thing. Something I hear from people all the time is postpartum is no one told me it was going to be this hard. Yeah. And I think we have to call BS a little bit on that because the reason I'm going to say it is because a lot of times people do talk about how hard it is, but when you're not in postpartum, like you're like, I don't care, right? Like when I was 16 and I was babysitting, I didn't care that this mom was talking about stuff. Like that didn't register and integrate into my body at that time. Right. So people do talk and what's it like to listen? What's it like to that person who has three kids down the block to say, what do you wish you knew in postpartum? To use community. It might not work for you. What the advice that Jen might give to me might be totally different about what works for me. But what would it be like to say like, you know what, I could probably learn for some people, whether that's listening to podcasts, whether that's checking out the book, whether that's saying like, oh, Erica's doing a Q&A on her Instagram. I'm going to say, what's the three most important things you wish you knew for postpartum? Yeah. And what's it like? Because that's being vulnerable asking beforehand because you don't know what you don't know. And that's what you learn in motherhood. I think we've got such like a romanticized ideal though. That like we don't want to hear it. It's interesting because I've done some like stats about like my audience and those who tune in and when they find me on their motherhood journey. Is it in pregnancy? Never. 
Never is it in pregnancy. It is in postpartum when they've come up against a wall. And I'm totally in that category, right? Like, I'm like, oh, I got this. This is totally like, we're gonna, we're gonna rock this. Like I'm, we're good. I remember the nurse actually saying with my first, like, are you sure you don't want to stay like an additional night? Like your milk hasn't come in. Like, are you sure? Like she's acting like we don't know what the F we're doing. And clearly we did not know (laughs) what the F we were doing. But like, we just want to so strongly believe that we are, I don't know, maternal or have instincts and it'll kick in and we will do it. So I think people vocalize about we're just, like you said, kind of like unwilling or we want to hold on to this romanticized idea. Because what you're Googling during pregnancy is like Pinterest of designing the nursery. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was doing. Right. I know. I was like, I'm going to have an aesthetically pleasing nursery as if my kid isn't going to like completely destroy that in one day anyway. Or never sleep in their crib a day in their life or something. And so also that they were talking about is like your expectations will often be squashed. And then where's the compassion for that? Mm. Where's the compassion to say like, and it wasn't wrong that I wanted that beautiful. It was the last thing I got to control making that nursery. That's great that I did that. I'm glad I had that experience. I thought that it was part of nesting. Do I wish that I maybe Googled a little bit more (laughs) about some other things postpartum? I sure as heck wish I did. But we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And so where is the self-forgiveness towards ourselves and to those around us, specifically to our partners? We're just trying our best here. Mm-hmm. It's really important for us to pause and think about that. Like coming back to, we don't know what we need. How can anybody else know what we need? You know, there's a lot of these, what I would call like attachment injuries that happen in our partnerships postpartum where like they didn't show up for us how we needed them to. Yeah, we had no idea. Like we're talking more like support style relationships right now, but we also talk about the adjustments that our relationship goes through. And holy smokes, you know, we want someone to just be so attuned to us and to just know and to be able to read our mind. But if our mind doesn't even know what the frick we want or we haven't really had the space to even step back and reflect, you know, we're fumbling through this together. And I'm curious, maybe I'll throw it to Jen, like how do we start this conversation with a support person? Like where do we even begin? I think that the, you know, To first start with vulnerability is really the essential foundation for it because, you know, when we're going through something difficult, it's easy for us to fall into kind of this defensive mode and get angry, Mm. right? Like you haven't been there for me. You haven't shown up for me in the ways that I need, right? That we go right into anger. And so my question would be is like, what is underneath that anger? Is it disappointment? Is it grief? And so to bring that vulnerability to the conversation, to be able to say, hey, I am really struggling more than I ever anticipated. And with that, there are certain things that I need support with that I didn't even know I needed support with. Can we sit down and have a conversation about what would be really helpful, whether it's in your romantic relationship, whether it's in your friendships, in your family relationships, to really start with vulnerability and talking from a space of this is where I'm coming from. Because what we tend to do is all of that will come out when we're in the midst of an argument, Mm. right? And when we're in the midst of an argument, it's the last time that we should be talking about what needs to change in our relationship, Mm. right? Because we hold all of these things in, right? We have shame around feeling it or, you know, not expressing it. We're saying, oh, my partner should just be a mind reader. They should know what I need. And if they don't, then they must not love me and not care about me. Right. So to drop some of those expectations, because no matter how long you are with your partner, they will not know what you need. They won't be a mind reader. Yeah. And so to be able to express that is so essential. And I know that that can be vulnerable and it can be scary. And the reason being that if we express that and they don't give it to us, right, it can be even more hurtful. It feels so much safer to yell at them and tell them that they're doing something wrong Mm. as opposed to, hey, can we sit down and talk about some of the adjustments that we can make so that I can get a little bit more support because I am really struggling here. So I think just once again, thinking about foundationally starting and coming to a conversation from a place of vulnerability, talking about this is where I am and this is what I need. And this would be really, really helpful for me in in the support that you give. And it sounds like in 
choosing your moments. Like you're calm, you're regulated, you're not ticked. It's not in the midst of an argument. You know, you sort of choose a moment. Yes. Maybe even that's like, doesn't have many distractions around and, and it's intentional, right? Right. Your ability to regulate your emotions in those moments is so important. And of course, that is so hard when you are postpartum. Yeah. It is so, right? So to be able to choose those moments is really important because I think they tend to come out when we're feeling more reactive, right? When we are more dysregulated mm-hmm. as opposed to, okay, when would be a better time? Maybe after we've slept, maybe in the morning at breakfast, you know, just to have that time when there's no distractions and you have a boundary around the conversation. Mm-hmm. The thing that's kicking around for me, and this is a whole maybe floodgate that I won't open, but <laughs> is like postpartum rage and like postpartum depression, right? Like if we're having a hard time regulating ourselves, if we're feeling uncharacteristic anger or irritability or we're lashing out and it's very unlike our temperament, I'm going to like raise a red flag at that and say, you know, you're going to want to poke around and understand what's going on there because obviously sleep deprivation plays a role and food and hunger all play a huge role, especially in those first like three, four months. But if you've, you know, got a bit of a sleep or if you've eaten and you feel still that you're just having conflict more than normal, I'll just, you know, put a little probe out there to look into it, maybe listen to some of our previous episodes on postpartum rage and mom rage and postpartum depression and really try to understand, you know, understanding what your needs are isn't admitting failure. It's actually very empowering because when you understand what's going on with yourself, you can make the right adjustments. You can go into problem solving mode. Like this isn't just what motherhood is, you know, Uh, there's somebody who I follow on Instagram. I can't remember who it is right now, but talks about how like motherhood is not a diagnosis. It's like, oh, this is just what motherhood is. Like, no, if you're not having moments of joy, if you're not ever feeling supported and you're always feeling lonely and you're always feeling isolated, if you're more irritable or anxious and wound up and can't come down, like there's something else going on here, I would say that is worth exploring. Yeah, that's my disclaimer. I think that I'll leave it at that. But it's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. Well, I like what you're, I mean, there's also this part here about like the relational attunement that we keep going back to because we're couples therapists and we have to, <laughs> of like, you know, like partners should be educated, right? Of Here's course. what postpartum depression looks like. Here's what postpartum rage looks like. Because if not, they're just going to keep saying, you just keep picky fights with me. You're just so difficult. You're just so angry. Yeah. As opposed to like love, like I think we have to go talk to someone because I'm worried about you and I love you dearly. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, also the attunement of us as partners yeah. to not pathologize one another. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And doing some of that research, knowing some of the red flags, educating partners as a part of this postpartum prep plan to know you are the person who knows that mom inside and out to know if they're not quite themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. That's actually something when I went through my own postpartum depression anxiety that I used to say to my husband, I'm like, I'm not feeling like myself. Something is off here. I'm going to give it a week or two. And if it doesn't figure itself out, then we're going to like, there's something going on, you know? And as a therapist, having some of the language to articulate that. But I think that this comes out in things like, should I get help? Like, is this normal? Like, if you're questioning whether you should get help, you should probably get help. Like, you should probably talk to somebody because there's no downside there, right? And I don't feel like myself or I'm regretting motherhood like 100% of the time. Like I'm, I want to be done with this. Like I want to be out of this role. These kinds of feelings are red flags. So if partners are hearing these types of things or you find you yourself Absolutely. like are listening and have said these things, those are also flags as well. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you both so much for being here. I've loved getting to know you more. Where can people learn from you? Where can they connect with you? So you can find us, um, if you want to listen to our podcast, you can find us on anywhere you find your podcast, uh, Shrink Chicks. If you are looking to see a therapist at our practice, you can go to thetherapygroup.com. We are seeing clients in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Florida, California, Massachusetts. So feel free to reach on out. We also have two physical locations in Philadelphia and Westchester. So that's where you can find us. And thank you so much for having us, Erica. We really appreciate it. 
I have enjoyed it so much. And I was watching your reels about how your offices are decorated. I'm like, please come. Please come decorate my house for me because all the fun. I feel like California vibes. I was kind of surprised to hear that you're on the the East Coast. I know. know. Right? It felt very like West Coast vibes, but I love it. So thank you both so much. And I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you. Thank you. Aren't Emily and Jennifer such a riot? And yet they can speak to such important concepts in this motherhood and parenting experience. I know that many of you lack the type of support that you need to help you through in the postpartum season. And sometimes the people who we want to support us the most are not always capable and able to support us in the way that we need. It can be really helpful and beneficial to work with a mom therapist, somebody who is trained in the nuances of motherhood who is neutral and won't influence or impose their values on you so that you can unpack your experience and your needs in the postpartum period. If you struggle to identify your needs, if you struggle to be able to communicate them or even know what you're feeling in the moment, our therapist can help you with this. Head to happyasamother.co slash wellness to learn more. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are being joined by marriage and family therapist, Travis Goodman, to talk all things sex and intimacy after baby. You do not want to miss this conversation from a father's perspective. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, mama, I want you to know, Keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job.